0: Good afternoon, it's good to be back here with you. Brother Dan and I are glad to be, uh, I think we're glad to be behind the mics again and discussing whatever topics Uh, You all might want to send in and we're missing Kevin, but Andrew's going to be representing the questioners.
1: But without further ado, I think we have three questions so far
0: and we'll go ahead and get into those.
1: Yes, we'll get. Here's the first one. Maybe we could spend even some time focusing on this Um, question for the broadcast. Could you please explain the role of principles within our lives as Christians and how they could be used and misused? Should we give more weight to the content or the form principled particulars or the whole?
2: I might observe, just to start out with, that um, there there may not be an either or there. Mm-hmm. Should we give more weight to one than the other, I think uh, where we are going to find imbalances is typically where people place inordinate weight on one or the other. Mm-hmm. And that if we, just as a starting point for conversation, maybe we what comes to mind is Jesus' words to the woman at the well mm-hmm. in John yes. 4, where... Uh, he says that the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. And I think those things, in a sense, may represent what the questioner is calling content and form. If we see truth as the, the principles, mm-hmm. perhaps, of the, of the framework of it, and we see spirit as the life and the action uh, the, uh, uh, of those, the truths Mm -hmm. um, then then we see those two elements and he seems to be making clear to us both are necessary Mm -hmm. and I think emphasizing uh, disproportionately those to each other Mm -hmm. is going to be a mistake either way if you have if we say content and form and you you know maybe we picture a a vessel like a, a glass that holds the water maybe I gave this example on the broadcast before I can't remember but uh, it's maybe may helpful to repeat it in light of the question. But if you were, if you were about to cross the desert, and you had, you know, uh, you had ten miles to go, and there was no source of water in the meantime, and somebody asked you, would you rather have water or would you rather have uh, the canteen? Uh, <laughs> it would be evident that neither one would suffice to uh, empower your journey all along the way. Uh, the water would be lost without the canteen and the canteen is useless without the water Mm -hmm. and so i think spirit and truth are in that sense of the content and the form they're both absolutely essential amen we can't maintain the spirit which is what it is the water that gives us life nobody gets life from a canteen Mm -hmm. so in that sense we could say perhaps even that that the the content is more important Mm -hmm. than the form because the content is the point right but the form is so important also because without it the content is momentary it's not sustainable right Uh, and it doesn't it doesn't maintain its contours and its limits and such without having form we see it with the human body as well you you say well what what is
0: essential this or that the structure of the human skeleton and or the vascular system you can't the
2: blood in the veins (laughs) yeah
0: you don't have one without the other I guess it might be helpful to define some disparity in what people might be picturing when they use a word like principles our English word principle has a lot of and has interesting etymology it's it's Linked to our English word for prince or principality, mm-hmm. and there are certainly examples such as in Hebrews, where they speak of the word of God as the principles of the word of God, um, and and that's important and that's good. There's another sense in which we would we would say that there um, there's a negative way that we would use principles, and that would be any truth or dictum separated from the spirit Mm -hmm. Um, we don't believe that spirit really can be separated from truth or truth really can be separated from spirit such that we would say that you can't have truth that is not anointed when it is not anointed it may be a truism or it may be a fragment of truth like the devil quoting scripture but if you separate truth from spirit it's no longer essentially truth. And if, if you continue to offer to uninspired, unanointed, unenlivened truth, the same reverence and worship that you would give to anointed truth, you're very likely facing some kind of idolatry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the the difference between uh, true worship and veneration and idolatry is closely tied to whether we are venerating a thing or whether we are venerating the living God. And so in in, in Exodus 20 or in Isaiah, um, he rebukes them for treating things like wood and stone and metal as if they were living beings. And I think that the only thing that gives life, the only thing that animates truth is the anointing of God's Spirit. And when you start to worship unanointed truth or unanointed principles, then you're very likely coming into some kind of idolatry. And that that seems to be what Jesus that seems to be the illusion that Jesus is suggesting in John 5, where he says to the Pharisees, you search the scripture for in them you think you have life. But they are those that speak of me, but you will not come to me, that you may have life. So it seems to it seems that in in the equation we have life on one end and a search of the scriptures apart from life on the other end. It's a mm-hmm. living versus dead approach.
2: And yet he says <clears throat> that the scriptures, these are they which testify, of me, amen. So it's not that the scripture is inconsistent with the life that he's talking about. He's no. not pointing to a contradiction no. between the scriptures at right. all. Right. He's just saying that they're trying to divorce the scriptures from relationship, amen. From presentational encounter with with God's movement in the moment, amen.
0: And to your point, I mean that's Peter saying all all scripture is God breathed. Mm-hmm. It is inspired. It is animated by the Spirit of God and the holy men of old, old wrote it down as they were carried
2: along by the Holy Spirit. and so Which is what he gives as the reason for why it is not of private interpretation. Amen. <laughs> uh, just a side note maybe. Amen. That it's not a private interpretation. He seems to be saying, because look, it was written by the Holy Spirit. Yes. This was not written by somebody thinking about it for long enough in the confines between their ears. Right. This was somebody who encountered God in the spirit and then put those things in into words and therefore we ought not to think that we're going to interpret it in a manner different than the way that it was written
0: amen Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. amen you just think of how often paul in his writings uh draws a contrast between mere words and the anointing or the power of the spirit Mm -hmm. and you know, we believe the, the scriptures are sacred because they, are un, they were inspired by God, and they remain sacred in our usage so long as they are interpreted in the same way they were given, inspired by the Spirit. But when we start cutting and pasting and isolating out our little passages and our little doctrines, how do we know that we're not facing some form of idolatry? You know, this, this paper right here it is not a living being. Mm -hmm. and so if I were to treat it uh, even as I treat you or a person or even as I treat a pet that would be idolatry much less if I started to treat it like it, it was God but everything would change if this paper you know started walking across the table and talking to me if if somehow this paper was animated that would be a totally different matter and that's not even in the realm of possibility when we're talking about paper but when we're talking about concepts or principles If they are unanointed and we worship them like they are God, that is a kind of idolatry. They are a medium for interacting with the Most High. They are not a substitute for interacting with the Most High. And it's like Jeremiah says, he says, Each man has his private oracle or word from God, but he will not come to the Almighty. Mm. It's very parallel to Jesus in John Mm -hmm. 5. He has his private oracle, but he will not come to the Almighty. So a lot of times these private interpretations, these private celebrations of our pet scriptures, it it does not have a noble uh, motivation behind it. It is is trying to avoid the Lord who is speaking in the days of the Pharisees Mm -hmm. or the Lord who was speaking in the days of Jeremiah. It's, it can be problematic.
2: Can I put in a, a yes. footnote here? It's reminding me of a conversation I had with my kids a couple of days ago in our family time. We were reading through the Book of Matthew, and we were reading about the temptation of Jesus and how Satan comes and quotes Scripture at him. You know, it, which is a remarkable way to tempt somebody if you think <laughs> about it. But apparently, uh, was that he, private interpretation? <laughs> <laughs> it might have been. So I was asking them the question is this the Word of God that Satan is speaking here? Because he's quoting the Scriptures, and at least some of my younger kids had a little bit of a hard time uh, knowing exactly how to answer that, because they were reluctant to say, no, the Scripture isn't, because I would say, oh, so the Scripture isn't the Word of God. Well, it is the Word of God, Daddy, but but okay, but was it the Word of God when Satan spoke it? Well, no, because it was Satan. But so... (laughs) So what makes it the Word of God? Amen. And I, I don't know, I think that's maybe a simple way of understanding Amen. that even the Scripture, yeah. the question has to come, why is this being spoken? Mm-hmm. Is this the time? Is this the context? Is this the right motive? Is this, is this God moving yes. in the speaking or reading of these verses? Yes. And, and if it, in that case, maybe it's obvious to see that they can be used nefariously.
0: Yeah. And we would say the same thing about you know people claiming... To be in the spirit. We would say if, if you're not yeah. true to the word, to the written word, yeah. then you're a, you're a charlatan. You're a fraud. But it, by the same token, if you're just quoting scripture, and, and again, we're, we're talking about truth and scripture, but principles can even be more sticky yeah, because it, they really can become substitutes for a direct relationship with the Lord. And, uh, you know, if we think about principles in a positive way, there are obviously these fundaments these principles that are immovable in the word of god and in our experience and and they're they're fixed they are the form that holds the content you know god is one Um, uh, the scripture is the word of god and the source for the standard for all knowledge and and instruction and history and everything else and um, you know man is innately sinful and salvation is through grace alone and there, there are these principles that that really are guideposts mm-hmm. along the way that are not flexible but it's it's whether we're trying to make the cup the point mm-hmm. when it mm-hmm. really is only as good as it delivers the water mm-hmm. and and if in fact the cup starts to be the blockage or the barrier so that we avoid water mm-hmm. then we really have a problem mm-hmm you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. it's like no i don't need water because i have a cup that says water on the side yeah and that's where in a negative sense we often talk about principles you know as a as a you know we're not trying to be principled here what are you worshipping your principles or god and 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 i think that what we're really hinting at is that it's a form of idolatry that unenlivened principles are not the truth of god They're not a relationship with him. They're a relationship. It's worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Mm -hmm. You say, well, but the word was with God and the word was God. Well, but you're talking about the sword of the spirit that is the word of God. You're talking about the word of God that is living and powerful. So in, in, in the Hebrews definition of the word of God, if it's not living, it's not the word of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if it is living, it better be living by the animation of the anointing of the presence of God. And any other form of enlivenment <laughs> mm-hmm. is a counterfeit.
2: Can I go off on something yeah, here yeah, a little bit? Please. Uh so um Of course it makes me think immediately of and the word became flesh yes and dwelt among us yes so talking about the word (laughs) becoming living amen it was very literally alive amen in in the form of, of jesus christ and uh and and even there you can see a contrast between form and and content when james says that the body without the spirit is dead amen and so mm-hmm. we can say but but yet the tr- Jesus became the living walking breathing truth. Amen. He didn't say I speak the truth only. He did say that, but he also said I am the truth. Amen. So he was what does the the embodied truth look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And how does that express itself into the world today other than what is called the body of Christ? Amen. And if I could, let me look at a scripture for a second that that I I find relevant to the topic. This is Romans 6. And he says here, let's see, verse. I'll start in verse 16. So he says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of the sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Verse 17, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Hmm. And it always strikes me that it says it a little different than, you, than at least I would expect him to say it. Mm-hmm. You, you would expect him to say, uh, you obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine that was delivered to you. Yeah. Like it was handed to you. Yeah. Here, here's yeah. your instruction manual. Right. And yet he speaks of it in the opposite form. And actually the, the word delivered, this is New King James I'm reading from, but the word delivered there can, can mean entrusted. Mm. It's like you were given into the care. Mm-hmm. It's actually the same word that's used when Jesus was delivered over to the Romans. He mm-hmm. uh, yeah. was taken into captivity. Amen. He was given into the captivity, which is, of course, the terms he's using. Amen. Paul's using the same. You, you, you're a slave to yeah. this. Yeah. This has authority over your life. And yet he doesn't just say the doctrine to which you were delivered, but he he says the form hmm. of doctrine. Amen. And Amen. It, there are multiple ways that we can understand that, and some of it could simply be um, the, the 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 kind of teaching. Sure. Uh, you know, the, the or the it, the word literally their form is is tipos in the Greek. Um, And it means type or it means pattern. It's translated many times in the New Testament also, though, as example or form Mm -hmm. as it is here. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that part of what he's getting at here is that this truth is not abstract. Mm -mm. This truth Mm -hmm. has a form. Mm -hmm. This truth Mm -hmm. is exemplified in 3D. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this truth has an arrangement mm-hmm. and an expression that lives on the earth. Mm-hmm. So it's not a mystery to you. Mm-hmm. It's not l- just uh, logical syllogisms. Yeah. It's not concepts. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not just in your head. It, it, this is embodied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It has a form. Yeah. And, and, and once again, it, what is that form? And, and I think when a believer is looking for, how do I, what guides my life? What is the what is the standard for uh, making decisions by and so forth? How do I know whether something is God or not? Um, I, I think we could actually point to three different elements that are incredibly important. That and they're 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 of a piece really. Uh, but one would be the Spirit of God. Yes. Another would be the written Word of God. Yes. But a third would be the embodiment, the Word that became flesh yes and, and dwelt among us and and which is the body of Christ right. and and once again if if we to borrow from Paul's explicit yeah. <laughs> carrying out of that the church is his body yes the church he says is the fullness of him who fills all in all yes and so we see Paul also saying in Philippians 3 he says join in following our example for you have us. Mm-hmm. As a pattern, it's the same. The word pattern is the same form as it is here. Yeah. you know, and and there's actually many examples yeah. in in the word where that word is used in that That's way. That's the
0: same typos. You have us as the form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. That's and, what I just went to.
2: Yeah, and <clears throat> multiple. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, multiple places throughout yeah. the New Testament actually. That that word pattern form example. Mm-hmm. Uh, is used referencing individual believers and believers collectively, the church collectively.
0: Like when he says in 1 Corinthians 11, if anyone wants to be contentious, we have no other pattern, nor do all the churches of God. Mm -hmm. And it's really the same feeling and the same meaning as when John says in his epistle, he said, uh, this is how we know the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. Whoever hears us belongs to God. But whoever yeah. does not hear us does not know God. Yeah. And there's an us. You have us as a pattern. There's a corporateness. There's an aggregate of example in the body
2: of Christ. And it is that concrete reality right. that you can encounter, that you can talk to, that you can look at. Yeah. that helps us to come face-to-face with the presence of God mm-hmm. in a way that the Pharisees were unwilling to do when it was Jesus himself and in a way that others are unwilling to do as we see the, the New Testament proceed, the people that were unwilling mm-hmm. to receive those that Jesus sent. Jesus yeah. would say, he says repeatedly throughout the, the, the Gospels, things like this, uh, whoever receives you receives me. Yeah. Whoever rejects you rejects me. As the Father sent me, now I send you. Yeah. So, he, he's sending his disciples, mm-hmm. all authority in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore you go and you make disciples of all men and you mm-hmm. teach them to obey everything that I have commanded, yes. baptizing them and so forth. So, we see this transfer of mission yes we we beseech you paul says uh, as ambassadors of christ we beseech you in christ's stead yes. instead of christ in his place yes. we are we are we are reaching to you to be reconciled to god so we are participating in this mediation process in real time so Amen. to speak uh, by being vessels of the same anointed word that Jesus was the perfect singular expression of yes. we as His body can become a corporate expression of. And that's not to exalt an individual or for us to start browbeating people and saying, you know, you've got to listen to me because I'm Jesus, yeah. as we are accused of saying. Yeah. That's not what we preach. No. Uh, we're just trying to live out <clears throat> the fullness of what this is saying. And and I just want to make w- one more point on it, and that is when we're reaching to know is this anointed, is this God, or is this empty principle? Yes. Then we ought to be looking at the fruit of it. Amen. Is it embodied? Yeah. Does it matter? Yeah. Is it being lived out by those who who would preach it or hit us over the head but their Bibles with it. Yeah. Do we see the fruit of a living, working, breathing body yeah. of people yeah. yes. that are walking in right relationship with one another, right relationship with God are the fruits of the Spirit evident in their lives and in their relationships? They you will know, the world will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. Is is this organism alive? Amen. Because the body without the spirit is dead. <laughs> Amen. So when we're looking at principles or doctrines or teachings, or patterns or whatever and saying, is it God? Is it not God? What does it look like when it's embodied? Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. I I think of, you know, in in the whole tension of uh, are we saying that we individually are a pattern or are we saying that we collectively are a pattern? It's interesting that in the Philippians passage here, Paul has just said, I have not attained. Mm -hmm. I have not been perfected. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But then five verses later, he says, you have us as a pattern. He does change. He doesn't say you have me as a pattern. Mm-hmm. He says you have us as a pattern. But even the imperfect, the unperfected Paul, he feels that he is still part of a pattern that is sufficient. And I think that's, that's what a lot of honestly uh, unscrupulous people do. They, they hear that we say you have the body of Christ as a pattern and they say, oh, you think you're Christ. Mm -hmm. No, Paul's just said, I haven't been perfected. And then he says, you have us as a pattern. It's interesting what my note was in that.
2: Oh, there you have (laughs) it. Can I comment on Paul there just for a second while you're on Philippians 3? I, I love the way that he says, uh, right after he said all this about you know counting everything as rubbish and I have not attained and but I reach for the high calling of the of the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus and all yes. this he's basically said I am not there yet and if Paul is not there yet mm. uh, we're not there yet either yes. and so he said all this and then he says and as many of you as are mature yes. will think this way right what way well what he's just described so mm. in Paul's right. thinking the mark of maturity is that one recognizes that one has not arrived Amen. but then he says but nonetheless you've got to be of the same mind Amen. and if there's something that you don't see yet god is going to reveal it to you i'm paraphrasing but you can correct me because you're looking at at the verse there but god is going to reveal it to you but in the meantime you've got us as a a pattern yeah Mm
0: -hmm. yeah what's interesting is the i think the mature is a better word for it but um, that Greek word that is translated as mature by the new King James is translated as perfect mm-hmm. by the whole, whole as yeah. an NASB is perfect. And it's interesting to me that what he's saying is perfect is an acknowledgement that we're
2: not perfect. <laughs> yeah. It's a mindset. Yeah. It's an attitude, a he posture says, of heart.
0: He says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, Mm-hmm. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it, yet, because he says it laid hold of him. Yes. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect... Have this attitude. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And if anything, you have a different attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. And the standard that we've attained to is, it's encompassing a lot, but it is this standard of progressing, Mm -hmm. of not ossifying. At one juncture or one threshold and saying, this is as far as I'm going to go. The standard we've attained to is a standard to keep going. And that's where he says, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the same pattern. You have us as a pattern or you have us as an example.
2: So, yeah. So I'm just seeing in this what you just pointed out about how he, he, he says that he has, he has not <coughs> yet laid hold of it, yes. but it has laid hold of him. That's really a parallel yeah. to what I was starting out with with yeah, Romans yeah, 6, yeah, yeah. where he does not say the form of doctrine was entrusted to you. Amen. He says you are entrusted to the doctrine. You are entrusted to the form. <coughs> you are entrusted to the truth. And, and I think that is an attitude indicator. Amen. And that as long as we are standing above and assessing, do I feel good about this? Do, does this line up with my principles? Does this line up with my previous understanding? Uh, we're gonna be automatically in a posture that may be missing something, yeah. until we have the humility of mind to always approach everything with, God, are you trying to show me something? God, is, is your spirit moving in some way that's unfamiliar to me? You know. So, in, in summary,
0: we would say that you cannot separate form from content. But there is a priority. Content has got to be the object and concern. And form has got to be assessed in terms of the fruit of content that it produces. Because Paul says that the apostates will cling to a form of godliness, but deny the power or content thereof. And he says have nothing to do with them. Mm -hmm. So there is a greater danger especially in an apostate age, that we would worship the creature of principles instead of the creator whom those principles is trying to lead us to, that those principles are trying to lead us to. Mm -hmm. And so we don't feel like you can say, I want to have this kind of relationship without form or that kind of relationship with only form. The two really cannot be separated. But to the extent that humans start to separate them, it's better to seek the, the content and, and then discover this has to be sustained by a form than to celebrate the form for form's sake. That starts to become a human creation, a work of the flesh, legalism, externalism, and everything ugly about religion.
2: And what you're saying accords, too, with what Jesus says in, I think it's John 16, where he says, when he, the spirit... Amen. of truth has come Amen. he will lead you amen. into all truth amen so it, it, it's <clears throat> well it may be true that, that we may encounter truth in some um, dry form sure. and that awakens a curiosity that leads us to God that, that may happen on some level but it seems like what he's saying is the guide here is going to be the spirit amen that's what's going to lead you to the form
0: amen and Jesus saying the words I speak are spirit the NIV says and full of life they are living and powerful. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it, compare it to marriage. You know, we don't, we don't chase after the form of marriage and hope that love ensues. We, we chase after love and recognize it cannot be preserved apart from the form of marriage.
2: Yeah. And we say, how can this be embodied? How can this be sustained? Yeah. How can this permeate every aspect of our lives and, and have the maximum impact and uh, longevity and so forth? And so Amen. we seek the form because the content is so valuable. Amen. So, principles that are unanointed
0: are, are not only not helpful and they're, they're, they're the problem. They're everything that's wrong with Christianity. But if if we see God's anointing and God's whole revelation of himself through the spirit, through the word, and through his son Jesus and the body of Christ today, we're gonna recognize that you cannot separate truth from spirit, spirit from truth, form from content. It's all interconnected and interdependent. But in terms of the priority, it seems like we need to put an emphasis on the reality of the content and in large part judge our our attachment to the form based on the fruit of the life is is it full of life is it denying the power or full of power paul says when i come to you i will i will learn not your words but your power for the kingdom of god does not consist in word or talk mm-hmm. but in power so he 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 seemed to be against principles that didn't have power. (laughs) And he seemed to be supporting patterns and principles and truths that
2: sustained power. Amen. There's a sense in which you can even say that a lot of what we call principle or form uh, passes away. Yeah. And yet the spirit remains forever. Amen. Even in the sense of our physical bodies representing a form, a Amen. vessel that contains our spirit. It's true. And yet the bodies pass away and the spirit lives on. That's and true. In, in that sense, yeah. God gives us forms and principles mm-hmm. and patterns as guideposts yeah. and and yeah. such to help us keep things between Amen. the lines, Amen. and yet they can never be the point any more than the, the canteen sustains your walk through the desert. No. It's the water that sustains yeah. your, your, no. your walk. Amen. And the law was to
0: bring us to faith and to a relationship with God. Yeah. And if it doesn't do that, then its purpose was void, and it even can become with us, as it did with Jesus, a barrier against interacting with the Lord.
2: Or the letter that kills when the Spirit would give life. Amen so
0: hopefully that's helpful
1: it's helpful to me it's helpful
0: to even think through some of these things and and uh, I feel like I see more hopefully others do too same again if if you're um, if you're tuning in feel free to write a question in at two five four two three zero zero four four six again that's two five four two three zero zero four
1: four six and we'll do our best to answer if we get something while we're still on air Mm -hmm. so do we have another question yes um, I've recently read about halfway through Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and I wanted to know your thoughts. Uh, I'm not intimately acquainted, but I know it's a great book. Um,
0: I think that um, uh, he has, of all the self-help sort of manuals, that probably rises above most of them. Mm. He has some profound insights. I have the book, but I'm not intimately acquainted with it, but he has some profound insights. Um, he, he has insights into our freedom exists between the gap, uh, of stimuli and response. Hmm. There's incredible things to learn and to receive from that. I'm not saying that the whole thing, uh, is, is an exact form of the body of Christ or, but especially leaders, I think would find a lot that would be instructive and edifying in his approaches and his progression of how we mature from dependence to independence to interdependence. Mm -hmm. He's got profound insights. Um, and I think generally speaking, there's a lot to be learned in something like that, but I'm not, I'm not officially endorsing or recommending it. I'm just saying, yeah, it's instructive.
2: Mm -hmm. And I can't comment. I've heard the title, but I'm not familiar with it.
1: Yeah. Um so a question for the broadcast should a new believer be baptized as soon as they can after they are born again That begs some questions
2: <laughs> it, Yeah it does <laughs> I guess to start with we would see baptism as part of the born again experience you must to be born again of water and spirit yeah. uh, would would include baptism so yeah. Um, I assume that the questioner must be referring to spirit baptism as the born again experience and then saying water baptism is supposed to follow that.
1: Uh, So there's a question that actually just came in. I I don't know if it's from the same person, but I mean, I haven't read it, but I can it seems like it's. directly related, Um, it says, can you tell me what a journey to baptism might be like? Obviously, they didn't know we were about to ask this question, but can you tell me what a journey to baptism might be like, what one might experience during that journey, and then how it is seen or realized to be at the point of baptism? So how do you know you're ready for it? Is it by oneself or by another that this is realized that you are at the point that you are indeed ready for baptism? This weighs so heavily on my heart to know. Thank you so much for helping me to understand this new road. God bless your ministry. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for the question.
2: Yeah. It does seem very connected. It is. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I mean, a, a simple, probably unhelpful answer to the first to the question is, how you know, should someone be baptized as soon as they can? Uh, yes everyone every person on earth should be baptized as soon as they can <laughs> but it seems Amen. like maybe the question is what, what defines when, when and how they can uh, what does that Amen. look like what, what is what signifies true biblical readiness for baptize, baptism is it possible to go through the motions of baptism? In, in a premature way, in mm-hmm. a way that would be ineffective or unproductive mm-hmm. or unbiblical, I would say yes. No. Yes, that's quite possible. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can get wet. Mm-hmm. You can go through the motions. You can have something said over you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I- if that's what saves you, then you're good but we would not see that as being a scriptural approach to baptism that that just that it's the water or the washing that saves you first peter 321 would directly contradict that mm-hmm. that notion that it it is the pledge of a good conscience he says in that passage that that saves us mm-hmm. through the through the power of the resurrection of Christ so there it is this it is this understanding it is this clear conscience it is this consciousness of what one is doing uh, and, a, and a pure heart and so forth, mm-hmm. the sincerity and authenticity and a right understanding all have to be involved in that. And, and, and then if we combine that together with uh, <laughs> what happens when the Pharisees come to John the Baptist seeking baptism, mm-hmm. we, we see that there are apparently some considerations here and this is for John's baptism which was at, at a lower bar even than baptism into the name of Christ but John's is a baptism under repentance mm-hmm. um, and so he, he says to the Pharisees who come to him seeking baptism why are they doing this well it says that everybody was going out to him mm-hmm. everybody's coming out to the Jordan to be baptized by John so here come the Pharisees too and he seems to be suspect <laughs> of why they're there he says, you you brood of vipers. He's not very politically correct, but he says, you brood of vipers? Who warned you to flee from the judgment to come? There's almost even a little bit of a goading mockery in, in the statement, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then he says to them something I think is critical. He says, go and bear fruits in keeping with repentance, for even now the axe is being laid to the root, root of the tree. Mm-hmm. So, he seems to indicate that uh, if there's not fruit mm-hmm. in your life that would demonstrate that you are in a repentant position, mm-hmm. you have no business being baptized. Mm-hmm. And if we see, I know I'm going fast over some things here, but if we, if we see uh, the gospel of Jesus as being enacted through Peter's admonition in Acts mm-hmm. 2, Amen. where it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, Paul says that's the gospel and in, in is it 1 Corinthians 15, I yes. think. Um, well, when when they're at when the people ask after Pete, Peter preaches that gospel to them, he preaches to them about the death of Jesus, about the resurrection of of Christ, about his burial and resurrection. He preaches that message to them. Well, the Jewish people understand that when a message is preached, it's not just something that you say ah. Oh, I acquiesce to the facts of what you just told me, therefore I'm saved and don't have to do anything else. That's more a modern evangelical approach to the gospel. But the Jewish people have been taught that to hear is to obey, and that if you don't obey what you've heard, then you haven't really heard it yet in a way that would save you. And so they seem to presume that when Peter preaches this message about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that they must enter into that gospel message by doing something So they say, when they're cut to the heart, what must we do? Mm -hmm. And he says to them, repent first, Mm -hmm. be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for it's for everyone. So he says first it's repent, then it's be baptized, and yet he, he seems to be equating these with the death, the burial, and the resurrection. So if repentance is the death and baptism is the burial, of our flesh then um, it does seem important that the death comes before the burial mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that that accords with John of course too that, that's my point yeah. that it accords with John saying mm-hmm. has there been a repentance yeah. because if there hasn't been a repentance then we have no bus- business uh, having a burial right. having a committal or a commitment to then walk in that repentance when it hasn't taken place yet right. so a measuring of someone's repentance seems important even incumbent upon those who would be doing the baptism, who would be doing the affirmation of someone's readiness, yeah. uh, that they should be testing fruit. Yes, They should be examining. They should be asking questions. They should be looking into the life and saying, are you really ready for this? Yeah. Or is this going to be just something that you feel obligated to do or you want to do it because everyone else is doing it and it's starting mm-hmm. to look bad on you because you're a religious person like the Pharisees were <laughs> and all these other people are getting baptized and what are they saying about me if I don't do it too? No. That type of... Group, yay! Let's do this. It doesn't seem to impress John. He, he seems to be saying this has got to be deeply personal. Amen. This has got to be done in conviction. This has got to be done uh, in the reality of an authentic repentance experience that you're that you're putting forth.
0: Amen. I I, uh, I think that we would say that you don't kill the old the old man by burial. You he's slain by the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which no. is the word of God. And then you bury him by burial. Mm. If we think about the things that, the five things that scripture says about baptism, baptism um, is a pledge. Baptism is like circumcision. Baptism is a burial. Baptism is uh, a remission. And baptism is an immersion. So baptism is a pledge and like circumcision in that. When we have crucified the old man, we are promising to keep that, that flesh that was cut off in circumcision, we're promising to keep that flesh out of our life in our covenant with Christ. And on that basis, we are making a pledge that Jesus will be the Lord of our life. And that fulfills Colossians 2.11 and 1 Peter 3.21. It's a burial <clears throat> in that we are, we are plunging our old tyrant of self, under and into the sacrifice of Jesus. Um, we are immersing our old man, burying him in a final act of covering him over into the, the sacrifice of Jesus. We're saying, what you suffered of the, of the judgment that was coming to me, I'm putting my old man there, preemptively judging my old man and drawing a separation between him and me. And then it's an immersion in a positive sense in that we were all baptized into one body. So we are being plunged into a new context, into a new community, just as circumcision did. We are being immersed into a people, into the corporate community of Christ. And then it is a remission of sins. It is a removal, a washing, a cleansing, a remitting in that we are saying because we are no longer living under that Lordship of self will. Now we can, we can, uh, we can be freed from the judgment that's coming to him. That judgment has already occurred at the cross, and I think that, um, essentially, the 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 most perhaps the most defining fruit of repentance, is, the ability to, recognize and receive the authority, of God's Spirit through his Son, through through the body of Christ as well. So when John tells the Pharisees that they may not be baptized until they bear fruits in keeping with repentance, that leaves a hanging question that is only resolved upon Jesus' last visit to the temple. When he starts to cleanse the temple, those same Pharisees challenge his authority. In, in effect, they do not accept that he has a right to come in and, and clean clean up their life. Mm-hmm. And that is immediate proof to Jesus that they didn't obey John's instruction to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Mm-hmm. So he takes them back to their desire to be baptized, and he asks them, "Was it of God or was it not? Like, uh, mm-hmm. remember you wanted something back then that you didn't get? Was it of God or was it not? And they they don't answer because but 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 what's important to us is that repentance would have looked like, such a crushing demise in our self-confidence that there would have been an openness and a receptivity to the one whom God had sent to, to, to bring cleansing into our temple, whether personally or corporately. Amen. And so I think that among all the other evidences, you personally, what repentance does is it, it puts to death the tyrant of self-will. And when that is real... And you can recognize and embrace the authority of God that He sends through His Spirit, then you're you're essentially ready. And and you've got to see what you're doing as these five things: a pledge, a circumcision, a burial, a remission, and an immersion. And if you see that in all of those aspects, and and you you perceive that God is calling you to be immersed in that manner into the body of Christ, then then you're quite you're getting quite close. I would say that is it. An evaluation that is done by the individual or an evaluation that is done by uh, the person baptizing. Well, I think it's a little of both. Mm -hmm. But I don't think a person baptizing can baptize someone unless they believe in the sincerity and sufficiency of their repentance or else they're shortchanging you. Mm They're robbing you. They're telling you, you've done what's needed. Now we just need to enact this this rite of passage and you're going to be good. And, and if that's a lie, you're going to be devastated because you're going to find that I still have this old man lingering in me. What do I do with it? You're always going to have a battle. You're always going to have to Buffet the flesh daily, die daily. There's always going to be a battle. But there needs to be a decisive win granted by grace and not human decision that grants you freedom over the tyranny and the reign of sin. Doesn't mean that you don't ever make mistakes or that sin is not a reality that you're fighting in your life. It means that the reign and the dominion of sin has been replaced by the reign and dominion of Christ. And when that's happened, then then it's time. And I think that's something we we all have to work together on. In the case with John and Philip, there was an evaluation on the person person baptizing. Mm -hmm. They both made an evaluation. In one case, it was a a sufficient level of faith with the Ethiopian eunuch, and the other it was a sufficient level of repentance. But in both cases, there is an evaluation being made by the
2: minister as to the person's readiness. I think that might have covered both. Yeah. Or was there elements we left out?
1: Maybe just a little bit, Get kind of the journey towards baptism, sort of what that looks like. Yeah. And I think even one time I remember you talking about even just a few ways that you would know yes. where you were at on that journey. Yes. And, you know, and such. I, I just Maybe just kind of talk th- through yes. that a little bit. Amen.
0: I think that uh, one of the, the confusing things can be, if you look at the... the The book of Acts, the first examples of baptisms there are occurring with people who were living in the repentance of John. So things could happen a lot faster Mm -hmm. because they're already living under the law. They're already living as worshipers of Yahweh. They're already living as disciples of John, many of them. Mm -hmm. And so things can happen pretty fast. Um, the other dimension is that they're living with in an environment of such ultimate consequence yep. that <laughs> mm-hmm. there's not as much of a likelihood of baloney going on. Mm. You know, uh, they're not having a whim to be baptized when they know it can cost them their life, and it's going to put them outside the synagogue. I mean, yeah. when someone's lifestyle and existence itself is on the line, you can believe their word a lot easier, mm-hmm. a lot faster. And we live in a world of such pluralism and double-mindedness that we feel that it is incumbent upon the church to be more cautious, to be more careful for the benefit of protecting the covenant, but also for the benefit of the individual, mm-hmm. that they not take a step falsely, like getting mm-hmm. married too soon. Right. So. Yeah. I wouldn't think that someone should rush into a covenant of baptism any faster mm-hmm. than they should a covenant of marriage because baptism yeah. is for life. And it's, it's the renunciation of your will and rights mm-hmm. before God and asking Jesus to be the Lord, the total Lord and unquestioned sovereign of your existence. Mm-hmm. And then attempting to live that out in a context that will test it, namely the body of Christ. Yeah. So to us, it often looks like someone coming and seeing the kingdom, seeing the love of God, seeing the life that people have in the kingdom, and saying, I want that, and then being led to a place of repentance, of taking responsibility for why I don't have that. Yes, I've been victimized, but I'm a culprit. And my corruption, out of the man comes everything that defiles him. I am by nature a child of wrath. This is is something inside that's got to be dealt with. And that's the process of repentance. And then when that repentance is complete, it's like, Lord, I want to seal this Mm. with a pledge. And I want to I commit myself as a living sacrifice into your covenant people. I don't want to be my own. I want to lose my independent identity yeah. separate from you. And I want to be joined to your body. I want to be joined to Jesus. I want to be part of those 3,000 who are added to the number of the church. And, and so baptism comes... When when you when this repentance is sufficient that you want to seal it. It's like when, when, when you've fallen in love and you want to get married. You want to lock it in. You want to make that pledge. And it needs to be in the name of Jesus because there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men whereby we must be saved. And every baptism that occurred in the New Testament was done in the name of Jesus. Somebody says, well, I thought it was the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, the, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is the name, Jesus Christ, Yeshua a Hamashiach. Mm-hmm. So it has to be done in the name of Jesus. And, and it's got to be done yeah. into as an immersion into the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. We're baptized by one spirit into one body. So it's it's got to be into the body of Christ. We've got to be added to the number of the church.
2: Can I comment yeah, on this just to back up just a tad yeah. for what you were talking about, the context where sacrifice was obvious uh, in, yes. the, in the early church? And I think of Jesus telling us essentially that it's the height of folly to commit to a process before you've counted the cost. Amen. Who, who, who begins to build a building without first saying, what is this going to cost me? So there is an evaluation that comes first before commitment, if we're going to act wisely. Absolutely. And so we do ourselves no service to not make that evaluation. And those that we, that come to us seeking us to uh, formalize their commitment, we do them no service if we don't in, 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 in require really a, a, an evaluation that they have counted the costs, and then he goes on to tell us you know that the, what the costs are yeah. that it can be your closest family, yeah. it can be your possessions, it can be your your own life, yeah. and that if all of this is 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 has been tested and counted and you have considered that you would lose all of that for the sake of the uh, of the pearl of great price then then you're ready. Yeah. Um, and so in a context where someone says, oh, I want to I want to do this. Um, it, it's not going to affect my relationships and my family. It's not going to affect my marriage, my houses, my property, my lands, my wealth, my lifestyle. None of it has to change. Um, and it's not ever going to require my life. We can continue with the American dream and everything <laughs> will be fine. Uh, so let's do it. <laughs> Pardon us if we are suspect of whether the costs have really been counted. And I think yeah, all right. of us have to say, God, my heart is... Jeremiah tells us, the Lord tells us through Jeremiah, that yeah, our right. heart is deceitful more than anything else. It's our yeah. own emotions and, and <coughs> the places where we lay up treasures. <laughs> those, are, those are more deceitful than anything. So what really has the pulls on me? And if there is no measurable way in which I lose something... To get this pearl, oh, look, this is the, the most incredible pearl you've ever seen. It will cost you nothing. Would you like it? Well, of course we say yes. But when we know, I've got to sell everything for this, then we're ready uh, to, to, to engage that. And it's not that Jesus is not telling us, go out and hate your mother. No, That's not what he's saying. He's just saying you've got to be willing to lose even the closest relationships in order to gain Christ. And so in a context where it's obvious you could lose your life tomorrow for this commitment that you're making. If, If you're in some Muslim country... Or your family will abandon you. Your government will abandon you. You will become a social outcast. You may literally be crucified like they've done to believers in the Sudan. That may happen to you. Just because you took on this, this hated name of Jesus Christ, let's baptize you. Yeah, if you're ready to do that because mm-hmm. we can all have assurance that the most important thing has in fact happened in your heart yeah. and that's ready that you would give everything for Jesus Amen. but in a context yeah. where that's a little harder to deduce yeah. let's be a little more careful
0: because
2: yeah. it's got to be the same Amen. whether we're in, in a time of plenty or in a time of famine ultimately the price is the same Amen. and the commitment can be the same we Amen. just need to be sure <laughs> I would highly encourage that folks Look at the
0: resources online at the bookstore, even on an introductory level, the relational salvation through Jesus Christ talks about repentance, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And you, it would be edifying to explore these things in more depth. But this this gives a, at least a starting picture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you all for joining us. Lord willing, we'll see you next, uh, or you'll see us next week. God bless you.